recorded live from the lobby of the Lion Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. You're listening to DC Public Library on Full Service Radio at the Lion Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, DC. This is an episode of All Things Local, where we highlight DC communities, culture, history, and Washingtonians who have made an impact on our city. I'm your host, Ray Barker, an archivist with the DC Public Library Special Collections Department. And in this episode today, we are joined by Joel Bales. Joel? Welcome to the show. It's lovely chatting with you, Ray. Yeah, great. So uh, a mutual acquaintance of ours, Mark Minsker, put me in touch with you uh, for the purposes of of this program. And uh, I did a little research, um, and I thought we would just start by talking about your history in the Eastern Market and Capitol Hill area. Like, when did you, you know, I I should introduce you, though. I mean, you're a street street musician. Yes, I have a full-time job at the Library of Congress for the last 37 years, but I do have been playing on the street for decades. Um, do you want to start there? I mean, when did when did this start? I mean, were you just playing traditional piano as a child or like what did the what are those origins? I started you- it's um what I do is called busking. Perhaps not everybody in the audience knows that Spanish word for playing music in the street and getting money for it typically. Uh, You have a hat or a bucket or something people can put money in. They don't have to. And that's busking. And uh, I actually started around 72 with my fiddle in Georgetown, which is a whole different episode of my life. And the piano, I've been busking in Eastern Market um, since the late 80s, 1980s. Uh, So do you mind 1970? So 1972, you were in Georgetown with a fiddle. Right. My wife and I were back to the Landers. Uh, I'm 71 now. And in that year of 1970, uh, a whole bunch of what was called hippies are back to the Landers. A, a, A fraction of the hippie group went back to the land to farm, subsistence farm, where you don't make any money, but maybe you grow a garden and some animals perhaps live cheaply. So we did that. And I used to come into Washington, where I grew up in the Wheaton suburbs. My parents' house was there. And uh, I would then go from there by bicycle sometimes, the 10 miles, uh, go down to Georgetown with my fiddle and play on the street there. So that was busking. And then after we moved to Capitol Hill in 1980, and I finally was able to get a piano together, which is another story, then I started busking at Eastern Market in the late 80s, and uh, didn't busk with my fiddle anymore. Uh, right. And so I'm na- taking notes here and following your trajectory here. So why, um, so wh- why, why Georgetown or what, I mean, what would, is it to make money? Is it the performing? Like what's the, in those what's days the- in the seventies, I started working at the library of Congress as a full-time employee around 1983, roughly. So in those days, in the seventies, when we were living on our small 10 acre, 11 acre farm in North in Frederick County, the very tip of Virginia uh, on Wisson Ridge, the central ridge of Little North Mountain, 900 feet elevation. 
lived in a barn that we rebuilt a bit so we could inhabit it, along with the animals, with the goats who were in the barn too, in a different part near us. Anyway, um, I liked getting the pocket money, which I earned on the street. It would typically be maybe $25, $28. It could be rather less. It could be $13. Uh, if I was really doing well, maybe $40 infrequently uh, for playing for a couple of hours, two, three hours. I liked having that money because I didn't have a job back in those days. And um, Are you like a teenager? Are you late teens, early 20s? What uh, uh, age? I was, in, I was born in 48. So in the early 70s, I would have been in my early 20s, around 24, 23, 25. And Joel, what kind of music were you playing on the fiddle? This is mountain music. Um, I don't read music. Yes, literally, I can read the treble clef of music, but not sight read. I can decode it. I don't know bass clef. I don't read for piano at all. And so I've been listening to music ever since I was 15. This, uh, in those days, the language changes a lot. In those days, we called it in the 60s, uh, 64, 65, 66, called ethnic music, which meant mountain music, corn whiskey and people with straw between their teeth and playing the fiddle up in Appalachia. Um, now ethnic music is music from the Balkans and Polish music, things like that. Um, so I was playing mountain music on my fiddle, hoedowns and things. And one of the several wonderful things happened in my education on the street in Georgetown. And one of them was losing my folk purism. I only like many of us in the folk scare days, uh, people call it folk scare jokingly. Uh, it's a folk revival is, is the same thing. Uh, Kingston Trio, all those people. In those days, um, I was a folk purist and only wanted to play certain tunes. But when I was on the street hoping people would throw quarters into my fiddle case, which was open, um, I would play anything anyone asked me. And I learned to not care in that same way about what I was playing and just play anything that anybody wanted. So uh, they asked for, and so, go ahead. Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. No. Go ahead. Did we both just say go ahead yes, at the same time? Well, then I'll go right. ahead. Um, you get the next round, but that, that's kind of what I was getting at. The notion of like a person playing this music uh, in a particular, a particular kind of music with in a particular way. And then, but you're playing outside for people and then it becomes the busking and the outdoors and the, these people coming by influence, uh, influence what you're playing and how you're of playing. Of course. Well, as far as how I was playing, I have my own style. Uh, it's very rough and ready and a lot of attack, a lot of a push. I don't think the style changed, but um, okay. people, like the volume. people asked over and over and over again for Orange Blossom Special which I don't actually know that tune. I mean, I can, I've can i heard it a lot. It's a showpiece. It's really fancy. It was created especially, I forget who did it, but it was created as a showpiece. And it's not like your, it's not square dance music. No one ever plays for square dances or anything. I was a play traditional music. And so I didn't really play that. It was too complicated for me, but I would have played it if I had known it. I attempted it. I played a little bit of it for people because there's a, an ethic. An ethic means how you behave. And the folk and the music ethic, the performer ethic, busking ethic is to try to play when people ask you a tune, they don't, if I may exaggerate, they don't know anything. They don't know this music typically, but they've heard a little bit of something. 
and they want to make some contact with you. They want to be it's social. They want to be gregarious, friendly. So they ask you for something they've heard of, which they hope maybe you've heard of, that they're pressing the right button. So uh, I always tried to respond as well as I could and played whatever I could play of whatever they asked. Even They were always happy. Um, no one has ever crossed with my playing. If I made an attempt to play a little bit of what they were asking for, they were totally satisfied because it was like a handshake, like a smile. It was a social sort of thing. And Joel, uh, obviously the, the benefits are to you in the sense of some monetary reward, right? Right. I say um, I would make anywhere from $13 or even $7 on a terrible day uh, to $25, $28, and $40 if I was doing really well. And then you're on your bicycle riding down to Georgetown and then heading back right. to your parents' house? Like, there okay. was no metro in those days, and I wouldn't think of taking Buses were just too difficult. Um, so I'd ride my bike. Uh, it was maybe around 10 miles from Wheaton where it used to be called the Wheaton Plaza, and now it's called West West Lake or some other word, term like that, a big pla- uh, shopping plaza. Oh, okay. The intersection of Georgia and- Avenue and University Boulevard. I grew up a couple of blocks from there. And then you ended up at the Library of Congress somewhere in here. And what right. what are you doing? What did you or what are you doing at the Library of Congress? Uh, I am in the main reading room, this beautiful place. The Jefferson Building is the old building. That's where I'm mm-hmm. I'm in that building. Main reading room is part of that. The Norton series on architecture, written uh decades ago, calls that building the most highly decorated of any building in America. And it's gorgeous, uh, well worth visiting. So I'm in the main reading room uh, helping with a reference collection, keeping it current, putting up new things, taking down old things. I do some database entry for our collection of reference books so people can see what's on reference as opposed to what's buried in the stacks somewhere that they have to wait an hour for or however much time, as opposed to being able to go to our stacks with the reference books and just pick it off the shelf. All the stacks basically are closed, but our reference stacks with about 60,000 books on them, that's open uh, to, to the public. Right. And as an archivist for the public library, I approve. Okay. I approve of everything you just said. Um, but uh, so we were talking, uh, doing this little hit mini history with you, and then I eventually want to get to um, the Capitol Hillbillies and stuff like that. But again, just to remind anybody listening, we're listening. To, uh, we're speaking with Joel Bales, a uh, street musician or uh, a busker. Uh, is is that? Uh, do you have a preference for the tech, these terms? I think do busker you, is the proper term of art, as we would say. It's what. It's not a word known to everybody, as I said. But uh, street street musician is fine. It's two words, and busker is one word. So uh, <laughs> I like that better. Well, let's talk about the. Um, the quarantined elephant in the room. I mean, so a street musician uh, obviously is out outdoors. How is a street musician like you making his, like doing your thing in, in these, in this climate? I can tell you that. Um, I will say generally that I, it's a paradox. I'm not sure what to think about it. It astonishes me all day long, every day since this virus has been going around my own personal situation in my home which we don't leave. We don't go out of it. We hardly, we virtually don't go outdoors a little bit as I'll explain, but mostly we're inside. And, and just to remind everybody, you're in the Eastern market, yeah. right? You're off of Pennsylvania. Uh, it's, it's, where- it's two blocks from Eastern market uh, on East Capitol street in between six and 700, uh, uh, okay. six street and seventh street. 
So yep. Um, yep. I know this is a time of great distress and there's plenty of tragedy and death and all that. And yet my own life with my wife of 50 years here, it's like been, it's never been nicer. Everything is wonderful. So go figure. I, I'm almost apologetic for saying that because people have such trouble, but I still want to be honest and it's fair to talk about your own experience. And my own experience uh, is amazing here. Uh, home all day long and I study and I write and I um, exercise and we cook and uh, we get along. So as far as playing on the street, it's that's in the context of what I've just said. The present situation is not so terribly different as one might think, because what we've done, we've given three concerts in our front yard. Uh, the first one was with my Cajun accordion and with my wife on her harmonica. And the next one was with me on my fiddle and her on her harmonica. And the third one was on my keyboard, an electric keyboard, like a sort of electric piano that has electricity outside. And she was playing harmonica. That's all she plays. And so we did these concerts and our neighbors seemed to love it. And the passerbys seemed to love it. So the analogy with playing on the street and playing in Eastern Market is that I would only ever go to Eastern Market when I felt like it anyway, not for money, um, because I have a salary at work and I'm fine. Everything's cool with that. So if it's nice weather, I just love playing for people and I'd go out there and play. So we can't do that and we can't play with other people except ourselves, uh, the two of us. But when we sit in the front yard and play and we get a whole lot of applause and all that stuff, it's basically the same idea, so it's not so very different. And we've done three concerts already. Uh, you could call them concerts. I don't think of them as that formal, but I guess that's what they are. Uh, we sit and play and sing, and people clap and all that. So that's really similar. Now, of course, there's no money, but a uh, way of understanding about my attitude towards the money is considering about playing solo or playing with a group. When I was playing in Eastern Market the first couple of years, I was jealous of the money. Money, let me let me back up and explain that I don't need any money from playing on the street. I have plenty of money, but I still want the money very much. Uh, as my late father said, even John D. Rockefeller needs money. That was his wisdom. So I love having the money when I play. It's, I think, um, ratification, validation. And that matters to me. If people want me to play in, yeah, it has a value. It has a value. It has a personal yes, value it does. for you. No, and I, the money, yeah. the money I get on the street. Uh, when I played, I was playing by myself, and I could make almost a hundred dollars. I could make eighty, ninety if I had a really good day, and at least sixty or seventy. And that, that's not, that's not exactly pocket change. So I was jealous of that money the first couple of years or however long it was. Then I've shifted over in the many years after that, uh, the 10 years after that, whatever it's been, where I play, I pretty much always now call on my band, my other four band members, my son, my wife, my best friend, Charlie Bean, and a bass player who we love named Tom Cox. And that's the, that's the, the Capitol Hillbillies. Hillbillies. And so I always call on them, plus some other people. So we play with uh, four, five, six people often, two people, three people. And I don't mind dividing up the money. And so I'll play for three hours and get $7 or $12. Um, or if I've, if they don't come for a while and I'm by myself, 
then it mounts up more. So maybe I'll make 20 or $30. Um, and I don't mind not having that money. At first I cared, but I thought how stupid that was because it's so much nicer playing with other people. So I'm telling you all that to throw some light on playing in my front yard with just my wife. Um, the worst part is that we don't have other people to play with. My wife doesn't want anyone else coming around, but go ahead. And, yeah, go ahead. No, okay. you got it this time. Um, but other than that, st being outside, nice weather and having an appreciative audience uh, is like the very rather much the same as Eastern market, which is a fabulous place to play. Please go ahead. So I guess I was going to back up a little bit when the, the narrative, uh, the assumed narrative in the terms of the uh, street musician or busker is, is forced to lock himself indoors and uh, open a window and play out or something. Everything you're saying now is sort of counter, the counter to that narrative, this assumed narrative. You know what I mean? And I, I guess I was just going to say all that portion that you were sharing with me is like a nice, it's like um you know, obviously it's a positive sort of, I mean, I appreciate your honesty that there's like this um, positivity about how you guys are adapting uh, to these conditions. And I guess that's, you know, I guess that's the takeaway. I'm having, me. it's a paradox. Uh, I could try to sound apologetic, but I'm having the time of my life. I'm not sure many other people are having the time of their life. Um, I'm in a fabulous situation in all sorts of ways. I tried to mention a few of them. So uh, for me, um, it's my wife and I are elderly. We're 71. And I, like many people, am terrified, are afraid of getting that virus. It sounds awful. Um, and, and for old people, it can be deadly more easily, apparently, than for younger people. So I am lying low and I'm really, really happy all day long, every day that goes by when I don't see anybody and don't worry about getting germs from them. As far as what you said earlier, if there's any paradox at all about being outdoors, we're in our front yard, which has a uh, one of those cast iron fences around it, low fence, and right. nobody comes uh -huh. in our yard. Everyone is on the sidewalk or the street or across the street, and everyone so far has been all spread out. People have been quite distant from each other. Apparently, I sing really loud. That's on the whole other subject about how you present yourself on the street. But I don't use a mic, and I. But people can hear me probably a couple blocks away rather easily. Um, so, the uh, outdoors, if that is what you're thinking about, that's not a real issue in terms of this virus because there's nobody close around. The neighbors have their own yards. Nobody is, is really has close proximity. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds, it's found, sounds fantastic actually. Um, uh, and I didn't get to, um, to kind of switch gears here, if you don't mind, Joel, that we were um, talking about your history a little bit and then you ended up over in, in Eastern market. And I guess people would know you as the guy pulling the uh, piano by, I mean, how does that, well, how do you maneuver I the piano around? It. Now the piano, I don't know for sure. But I'm thinking it often, depending on what's on it, weighs about 450 pounds. It's a fully serviced <laughs> – I constructed it, uh, the outside of it with hooks. There's a double kazoo rack. There's hooks for my tambourines. There's a hook for the jug. You can play a jug 
Uh, it sounds a little bit like what I'm going to do right now where you're blowing into a jug. I'm going to make that sound for your, right now. No, please do. A little bit like that, it sounds. Uh, it's not very loud. Okay. And I don't play the jug much, but there's a hook for the jug. There's an umbrella that goes on the piano for the sun, sun uh, parasol, parasol. And uh, there's a little place for a flask of corn whiskey. There's uh, – I can carry – I often carry three or four chairs on it if, for the band members uh, so they'll be comfortable. Mm -hmm. I have a stool on it for myself, a piano stool that's high because the piano is on a dolly, an all-terrain dolly. And so it's higher than just like being on the ground. The little wheels of the piano would never, 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 never do for rolling it around anywhere outside of a auditorium or something like that or a house. When yeah. I was moving uh -huh. for uh -huh. her, a friend's piano in Virginia, many years ago in the suburbs on the macadam, the rough, black, tarry, stony, whatever it is, roadway that in the suburbs where people have their homes. It was amazing. It was a summer day. And by the time I reached her house, she, it was a neighbor's piano that she wanted. And I rolled it to her house. By the time I got to her house, I didn't get to her house except 20 feet away because the wheels had melted from the friction. Those hard no. black piano wheels that you roll a piano around had gotten so hot from the heavy piano on the rough roadway that they turned liquidly, liquid, they liquefied. Deliquest, fancy word for that. So uh, then we carried, we got some neighbors and carried the piano in the rest of the way. So those wheels don't work. I have 10 inch pneumatic tires. They're like car tires a bit. They're a fourth as large or half as large if you go by diameter, or a fourth as large if you sort of go by size, but they're, healthy and they take about 50 pounds pressure a car might take 32 pounds pressure and you can, it's all terrain and you can roll it anywhere in quotes and uh so the thing about the piano many many people think it takes a very strong person to push it around now i have been lifting weights for uh 56 years i weigh 185 and I should weigh like 150 or so if I was a regular person. Okay. Um, so sure. I am strong and rolling, pushing a piano uphill. I pushed it up Capitol Hill uh, num numerous times. It can take some strength. Mostly it takes coordination. It takes knowing your body, knowing how to use your back, knowing how to use your legs, all that stuff, being savvy about using your body. It takes that. But if you think about the physics, I invite the whole audience to consider how the physics works. If you're going downhill with a piano, duh, you don't have to, it doesn't take any strength at all to push it. It's running away from you. And then if you're on level ground, once you get your momentum going, which isn't hard, then the piano just rolls along. So it's really uphill sure. that's a problem, but we live on the top of the hill. So rolling it to two blocks or so to Eastern Market, or when I roll it to 8th Street, which is south, a mile or so, um, that's still level. And so it's really not an issue. It takes me about 20 minutes to roll it to 8th Street, uh, where we play sometimes on the weeknights when there isn't anybody at Eastern Market too much, when there wasn't the virus. And, uh, yeah. Right. 
And Joel, I was going to interrupt you. You might walk in normal conditions. What is like you're playing out on weekends or you're just like emailing your right. bandmates to it's meet the you in the corner? There's of no schedule. Um, people ask me when I'm going to play. And I used to many years ago, and we still maintain the list. I had a list of about a thousand people that I would email when we had uh, gigs that they could come to where I was going to be playing. But on the street, I've never done that because we have plenty of listeners from people passing by. And I really am hesitant to burden people's inboxes with extra email. So it's a decision I made. There's people I know who wish they could hear when I was playing outside busking. But as a functional thing, for me being selfish or whatever you want to call it, I don't need to try to attract people uh, to my when I'm playing outdoors at Eastern Market because I attract people by banging on the piano and yelling a lot. Yes, I'm making noise, but then, um, but uh, but um, the bandmates then, and how are you? How are you looping them? I have uh, emails, uh, and I have them, and I send. I typically title it uh, "busking call," busking call, and uh, say what time, and uh, typically say Eastern Market, and they know what where I am on Eastern Market on the corner of Seventh North Carolina, where Independence comes in there. it's across from North Hall, which is the north end of Eastern Market, uh, that structure where the market is inside under the roof. And so they know after all these years. And if I invite other people, I put more detail about the exact location. So, uh, yes. And then if they want to come, they come. And sometimes they come after an hour while I've been there. Sometimes I'm alone for an hour. Sometimes a couple of them come right away. People vary depending on their personality. And Joel, what do you again? What oh, uh, music okay, so are you this playing? is not Just the mountain music. Well, actually, I do play a bunch of mountain tunes that I've adapted to the piano. It's what we in general call blues, but it would be pre-war blues. That's World War II. That's a term of art. We musicians talk about pre-war blues. Robert Johnson, who's so famous now, he was pre-war blues. He died. So we're talking thirty. 30 yes, it 20s is from old. Reissue record reissues and all that we hear. And uh, I've been listening to them, as I say, since I've been 15. That's about 56 years ago. Been listening to this music all the time. So we play what we call old blues. It includes honky tonk and primitive gospel. Primitive gospel is where I bang on the piano and shout. And it's these old tunes from the 20s and 30s. It's not uh, like soul music, it's not subtle, it's not uh, sensitive. It's like kick up your kick up your feet and clap your hands, sort of type. Thing. Yeah. And Joel, people in a correct me if I'm wrong, but people won't necessarily recognize the tunes, but they would they would That's respond exactly to the feel right. of them. I told you I was a folk purist to begin with. Um, I know God knows I easily know a couple of thousand tunes. Um, I don't know how many, and I know zillions of words. Not everybody knows words. But I go over my words when I'm in bed or taking a walk or odd moments. I'll review things. But also my memory has not failed me. So I know tons of songs and most people haven't heard hardly any of them. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the answer to your question. It's, the music is a bit esoteric uh, in that sense. But certainly when I'm banging on the piano and yelling and, and playing with my tambourine in one hand and playing the bass with the other hand, and singing, and if I had my son with me or other people uh, playing their instruments, 
Uh, it's got a lot of energy. That's my business strategy to make up for what I lack musically with energy and uh, yelling, sing, being loud. Yeah, and Joel, does the this style of music fit the busking? Oh context, yeah, no, I'm not. See, think? I have no idea what the busking context is, except if I may take that ball and run with it in my own direction. Um, I have. I talked about ethic, how you behave. Um, there's a whole performer's ethic, which I am all over, which I've thought of very carefully. And as far as what music is appropriate, um, my performer's ethic is to reach people. And I think you reach people by not singing to yourself, but singing out so they can hear you and uh, being demonstrative. When I play, people like watching me because not only are the keys exposed so they can see the inner workings of the piano, but I'll hit the piano with my elbow and my forearm, bang it with my fists. It's uh, very energetic. It's kinetic. Uh, and I, one other thing, which is maybe obvious to music people, but it's also percussive. You may or may not know a piano's called technically a percussion instrument, like the drums and other percussion instruments. And that's because the piano hammers strike the strings. They don't pluck them like a harpsichord or they don't bow them like a fiddle or a bass. So I play that instrument percussively. So there's something to watch. Aristotle calls it opsis uh, for what you're seeing in art and melos for the sounds of the music of art. So there's a lot of opsis. Uh, to quote him. And Joel, you're saying that the hammers are, everything's exposed there so people can watch the right. hammers and hitting the strings, love, right? Especially the people who bring their little toddlers, their little uh, children who are a year old, two, anyone who can stand. And of course, people have them in baby carriages too, but there's anyone who can stand, one year old, a year and a half, two, three. Um, I have a bucket of very small plastic tambourines which anyone, and I put them out, and anyone can use them. And there's a bunch of parents who know about that, and other ones can see what's going on. And the little children love to, but their parents maybe love it even more when their little children stand around shaking those tambourines in time to what I'm doing. So uh, there's stuff, there's mo movement, there's stuff to look at. Uh, it's, it's an active sort of thing. So as far as what's appropriate for the street, my ethic is to... Oh, I know what. My bass player loves to quote this. It's what the empresario who hosted the Beatles in Hamburg so very, very long ago told them to do, to mock show, to make a show. So, so mock show is part right. of my ethic to try to, the opposite, the opposite, opposite is sitting in your parlor, your living room with your words. I never read, that's against right. my ethic to ever be looking at words when I'm singing. No, you want to be able to be free to communicate, look around, uh, and you should have it in your heart. You should know this stuff. Uh, that's part of the ethic. And sort of like, that, like, like entertaining at, at all, all manner yes. of that entertainment, I guess yes. it sounds like. And so uh, people, the opposite, I don't want to make sketch any bete noirs here, but the opposite, it's, it's, it's in the back of my mind all the time because of all the people who come up one after the other all these years and they wish they could play music and they want to play music and they have not known how to cross that line. If they have it in them, maybe not everyone does, but you have to cross the line. It's like at the dreaded uh, draft where they are Davy Crockett at the Alamo, where you draw a line in the sand and you have to step across it. 
you can't just be at home. You can be at home, but when you're out on the street, you can't be at home in your parlor with your words on a music stand, trying to see what they are and sort of courting on the guitar for yourself while you sort of mouth these words. No, that's not performing. Performing is where it's inside you and you have on top, you have that facility, you have that access where you can just go with it and because you know it and love it. And that communicates, of course, to people. That's that authenticity thing, I suppose. So uh, I'm still on your subject of what's appropriate music. It's the idea is whatever you're playing, you want to reach people by, and I talked about what there is to look at. And certainly I'm loud and I expressive when I bang the piano and all that. Please go ahead. Oh, no, I love that. I loved all of that. Yeah. And I was, um, I, um, I can see now what people were responding to your energy and your enthusiasm and your, your love for that. Um, I know we're kind of coming towards the end of this, but I just had two more questions. Um, so much of what we're talking about is this sort of live in the moment, authentic yes. experience. Um, is that, do you do any record? No, do you do um, any recordings? I never you have, have um, paradoxically or not. It's because of what you just said. Um, I had a change in my life. The, maybe the biggest change when I was 45, a long time ago, where I took to heart and actually learned how to, by myself, be here now, as we say. Um, those three words are really important to me. In the hippie years, that book, Be Here Now, that uh, Baba Ram Das wrote. Uh, yeah, okay. I, actually I never read that. Right here. Um, but I knew the term, Be Here Now, but it didn't mean anything to me. When I was 45, that's a long story, a spiritual quest story, but I actually shifted my life around to start doing that. And so as far as recording goes, it's a wonderful thing. I've recorded professionally for people. Uh, uh, they've paid me to like play certain things infrequently. I've been in the recording studio a uh, number of times, um, but not like it's not like a big deal. It's local here. Anyway, uh, for me, I just love making the music, so I don't really care about the recordings. I'm not trying to achieve anything. With, please go ahead. Yeah, for yeah. No, yeah, great. And then, uh, and then I was just going to ask you a little bit about like we just talked a lot about you playing and what that looks like and where it occurs and all of that. But what are the? Um, I mean, you talked a little bit about the how children respond to what you're doing and stuff. But so when you're playing an Easter market, do you get a sense of your whether you're playing to D.C. residents or are they tourists? It's do you have both. a sense of what the your audience on a good is day, like? nice weather is plenty crowded and there's plenty of uh, Asian looking visitors with cameras. And as opposed to all the American Asian-Americans who some unfortunate white people will talk really loud to so that they can understand the English that they were born with, which is a silly thing. Um, these do look like tourists to me with their cameras and all that and their hesitancy. They hang back and they'll approach me with use with accented English. So I, there's a bunch of Asian tourists who seem captivated by what I'm performing. But there's uh, a bunch of people on the Hill. Pearl and I, my wife, after being on the Hill since 1980, we have a whole group of people roughly our age who we've come up with on the Hill for in quotes, we know everybody and Pearl taught at Capitol Hill day school for 30 years. And she's mobbed all the time by her old students on the Hill. People don't move. People do not move away 
from the wonderful, wonderful Capitol Hill very much like they might elsewhere. So we play for plenty, plenty people we know, our peers, and God bless them. They're not embarrassed seeing us or they've gotten used to it. Uh, I may not have time to tell you, but I do have a lot of remarks to make about the difference between being a bum on the street asking for money and being a musician. But more precisely, when I played fiddle in Georgetown all those years, in general, no, I was half a bum and half a musician. No one could ever, an individual could decide, but the group as a whole of passersby never were quite sure what I was. But when you have a huge piano, big, heavy, upright Baldwin piano out there, no one thinks you're a bum, et cetera. Right. Yeah, you're a working working musician, I guess. Um, And then just finally, we're running out of time, Joel, but this has been really um, fascinating. Is there anything coming up? Like where would someone find you when the world hopefully returns to something that's semi-normal? Saturday or Sunday, starting around 1 o'clock, very, very typically, uh, 1 o'clock p.m. at Eastern Market uh, at the corner of 7th and North Carolina uh, Southeast. It's right across from North Hall, as I say, the end of what people call Eastern Market, where people sell stuff under the roof. It's by that new coffee store, 7th Street Coffee, Hill Coffee or something. It used to be Port City Java, has a new name. And we... So that's where we play. Oh, right. they, okay. If they are lucky, they'll hear us. Um, it's it's just quixotic. It's just if I feel like it. Well, great. Well, great, Jill. Uh, thanks for all the info. Thanks for talking it's been today. Lovely. I've really liked it. Appreciate the stories. Glad it worked out. And uh, maybe I'll wander by your front yard sometime and see. Knock if on I can the door. We'll play for you. We'll come out there. Oh, great, great. I would like that. So we've been listening to a conversation with Joel Bales, DC uh, a busker, uh, DC street musician. And you have been listening to an episode of All Things Local by DC Public Library, recorded uh, for, for full service radio. This was a remote recording, uh, typically recorded in Adams Morgan, Washington, DC. So uh, just to plug here for some library things, visit dclibrary.org forward slash library at home where you can learn about our current virtual programming. So that's dclibrary.org forward slash library at home for virtual programming that the library is doing and to um, access online resources. So find us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at DC Public Library or Twitter at DCPL. Go to dcpl.simplecast.com to listen to this and previous great episodes of DC Public Library and Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening, everybody.